Prevail Christian Church podcast. This week, we have a special guest speaker, Jay Warner Wallace. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Right in. Um, uh, my name is Jim, and I work in Southern California. Uh, most of the time, my, my career, I've spent working cold cases, and those are just unsolved murders because there's no statute of limitations on a murder. You do a robbery after a certain number of years, that case is going to close. But on homicides, they stay open. So if you like Dateline, I think the last we just did an episode last week. Somebody uh, emailed me and said, "Oh, I saw that was a good episode, except you were on it." I said, "Oh, thanks." Uh, but I think I've been on Dateline more than anybody else in the country. So if you like unsolved murders, but look, when you try murders, you have to know that something is true. You have to, at, at the very least, you have to know that the crime actually occurred and that the guy you're, you're prosecuting is the true killer. And so it really comes down to the nature of truth. What do we believe foundationally about truth, especially in a world that's denying that really anything is objectively true, that everything now is a matter of shared experience or common experience or private experience, and that's what determines that things are true. If that's the case, it changes everything, doesn't it? My son struggles with this now because it's hard to impanel a jury in a world in which no one's quite sure if anything's more than a matter of opinion. Now, he's wearing the same uniform that I wore for years before him. So this is, you know, you get to pass down your old uniforms, which is about all they're good for. The patches change, but the uniforms are still good. And he's got the same name tag because I have the same name as my son. And we're laying with this. I have the same name as my dad who gave me his old uniforms, okay? We've been at the same agency for 59 years, okay? We've been doing this job. So what I wanted to share with you today is a, really a, a, a foundational claim about truth so that now when you listen to Ben on the weekends, you'll have an even stronger underpinning to what it is he's claiming. Look, I had a chance to do a movie a couple of years ago called God's Not Dead 2. Now, there's no point in trying to make a case for Christianity if everything in Christianity is simply a matter of my personal opinion. If that's the case, why do you really care what my opinion is? Or are you asking me to testify about something that's objectively true? And that's what I want to talk about this morning, is the difference between these two things. Imagine we're not going to have a, a service. Instead, we're just going to get in the vans, and we're going to drive to the nearest big town, and we are going to share the truth with people on the street who have never heard the truth. If we did that, and by the way, some of you have done this kind of thing. You've, you've done like one-day evangelism trips or some street evangelism. Raise your hand if you've done that kind of tr a trip. So a few of you have done that. Would the rest of you say that you're like, oh, I'm kind of uncomfortable with that? I mean, don't you like hate being put on the spot to do evangelism? Why do we feel that way? Now, what if I told you that the truth we're going to share on the streets is not going to be the truth about Jesus. We're going to share the truth about what is the best dessert in Arizona. We're going to be talking about dessert. Now, is that a trip you'd be willing to spend a day doing? Really? I think most of you are like, that's a stupid trip. Yeah, like a, a dessert trip, maybe we're going to do dessert evangelism. Why, why in the world would you do this, right? Because everyone's got an opinion about this. Like, what is the best dessert in Arizona? What is it? Chocolate lava cake? Is that everyone agree? You're all in Arizona. Do you agree? What's the best dessert in Arizona? Yell it out. Churros? What kind of ice cream? What brand? 
Do you guys have bluebell ice cream in Arizona? Oh, you do? Oh. I'm tempted to say it is bluebell. Okay, our family's from Texas, and I'll tell you, that's a great, that's a great company. But uh, you're wrong. It's not ice cream, okay? I'll tell you what it is. It's the same as it is in every state. The best dessert globally is chocolate chip cookies. This has always been the best dessert. It's a classic dessert. Your grandparents were eating chocolate chip cookies. They weren't eating bluebell. There was no bluebell back then, okay? This is the best dessert. Don't even try to argue with me. Now, this is kind of stupid, right? Because you recognize that this is a matter of my personal opinion, right? In other words, I, as the person, as the subject, determine if this is true. This is why claims like this that are grounded in the opinions of subjects, this is called a subjective truth claim. Do you see why we call this a subjective truth now? It's because it's grounded. A subject makes it so. Are we clear? Okay, let's change it. We're going to go downtown, but we're not going to talk about dessert with people. We're going to share the cure for tuberculosis because people are dying of tuberculosis and don't even know they have it. It peaks every few years. And so the California, we've had a run of it. It presents like a flu, so you might not even know what you have or like a cold. But eventually this will kill you. And there is a cure for this. It's a cure that is, I've got TB. I caught TB from a guy I arrested many years ago. And I was already over 40, so they didn't cure it for me. They just said, okay, you are now, from now on, going to be TB positive. I always test TB positive. But unless you're TB active, we're not going to treat you with these drugs because they're kind of, they're, they're tough drugs on your body. So they won't treat you. So I am TB positive, but I am not TB active. But I've been this way for like 15 years. Okay. The cure for TB requires a cocktail of antibiotics that's grounded in something called isoniazid. If you don't have isoniazid, you don't get cured of TB. And by the way, this is not a matter of subjective opinion. My opinion has nothing to say about it. I cannot. I could say, well, in my opinion, I should have a shot of whiskey. That'll cure my TB. I'd much rather have a shot of whiskey than a shot of isoniazid. But my opinion is not going to make that the cure. This is true for everyone, whether you like it or not. Whether you think so or not. Why? Because it's not grounded in a subject. It's not a subjective opinion. This is grounded in the object known as isoniazid. This is either going to cure it or it's not. And you cannot make it so with your personal opinion. That's why these kinds of claims are described as objective truth claims. They are not grounded in subjects. They are grounded in the object under consideration. Do you see the difference? This is huge. A lot of us were just like, I don't want to go downtown and do street evangelism because to be honest with you, I, you know, look, I got neighbors who are Mormons and they're just delightful people. I'm not going to go over there and shake that tree. Why would I do that? That works for them? This works for me? Oh, really? So is this just a matter of person? Is your view about God just a matter of subjective personal opinion and their opinion works for theirs and yours works? Is that what we're doing? That's a behind a lot of hesitancy right now on the part of young people and old people about sharing their faith. We are treating the gospel, the cross, like a cookie instead of a cure. It's just a matter of my opinion, and there's a whole smorgasbord of opinions related to God, and I'm not going to force my opinion on you. What if this is the objective truth about God, though, and it's the cure for what's killing us? Are you the kind of person who won't share the cure? That's the question I want to answer this morning. I want to test you. When we get done this morning, you will forever know the difference between objective claims and subjective claims, and I think it'll change the way you hear Ben on, on, on Sunday mornings.
So let's do it together. First, I want to give you a little primer about the differences. I want to show you the best car I've ever owned. It is the best car in the world. You would wish to have this car. Some of you might have had this car. This is my 2004 Hyundai Sonata. Why are you laughing about the Hyundai Sonata, though? I'm serious. A Pacifica is better? Like the Dodgers are better? Are you kidding me? This is a Hyundai. This is the best car. I'm going to make a claim, and you tell me if this is a subjective claim or an objective claim. So here is the claim. Hyundai automobiles are the coolest cars in the world. Subjective or objective? Okay, you think this is my personal? Now, I've got a daughter. When she turned 15 and a half, she looked out in the driveway because she knows at that age, you're getting my old piece of junk car, okay? I'm not buying a new car for you. I'm buying a new car for me. It'll be a Hyundai. But the point is, you are getting the old Hyundai. And so she looked in the driveway and she says, are you kidding me? That's going to be my car? I said, oh, yes, it is. I can't, like, drive that thing. Why not? It's like not a scratch. It's like a brand new car inside and out. It was taken care of so well. I can't drive it because it's an old man car. And I thought to myself, that's pretty, like, strong language. Now, is there a way that this claim, which I just made, which I agree, is a subjective claim. I, as the subject, make it so. The question is, is there a way that this claim could actually be an objective claim? Do we have time? We have a little bit of time. Raise your hand if you think there's a way this could be objectively true. Go. That's right. Right there. How could it be objectively true? You have a... What? Maintenance records. I think you're close. Anybody else? How could it be an objectively true claim grounded in the object known as a Hyundai Sonata? What? (laughs) Do what? Bury it in a glacier. (laughs) That's a good one. I haven't heard that one before. That's That's very true. How about if we took every car in the world into a garage and we measured its air conditioning and we discovered that Hyundais are two degrees colder by way of air conditioning than any other car on the planet? Now we could say that Hyundais are cooler than any other car because we're talking about their air conditioning. Now it would be objectively true. Do you see the difference, folks? Okay. I just want to demonstrate my commitment to Hyundais. This is my son Jimmy's car. Still drives it. He can afford a better car, but he likes a Hyundai. Uh, He's a police officer now. This is my son David, who's an anesthesiologist. Trust me, he can afford a better car than this, but he still drives his old Hyundai Elantra. That's what he drives. I don't know why. He likes the car. It is junk. But the point is, I'll make another claim. You tell me, objective or subjective, here's the claim. Hyundai automobiles can fly you to the moon. Objective or subjective? Which is it? Subjective? Objective? There's some confusion here. Which is it? Well, didn't I have a test here in a minute? You got to get this right. I didn't ask if it was true or false. I asked, is it objective or subjective? And remember, one way to tell the difference is, can your opinion make it so? Can my opinion make Hyundai's fly to the moon if they can't? No. Could my opinion keep Hyundai's from flying to the moon if they can? No. My opinion has no power on this. This is an objective claim but it's objectively false. And there's another difference. Is you can verify or 
uh, falsify objective claims in a way you really don't even bother to do with subjective claims. So if I said to you, chocolate chip cookies are the best, cook uh, the best dessert in, in Arizona, you would say, no, they're not. Well, why are we, how would you falsify? You can't. But this is a falsifiable claim because it's not a matter of subjective opinion. It's a matter of objective reality. I can put that on the launch pad and see if it flies. If it doesn't fly, it's objectively false. As a matter of fact, once you discover that a claim is objective rather than subjective, the only thing left to decide is, is it true or false? So I want to give you the four rules we're going to use to take the test together, and we're going to see how, far, how well you do. By the way, as you know, spaceships are what fly you. Of course, there may be someday be a Hyundai spaceship, but we'll have to wait and see. Four, four truths. Number one, you can change a subjective claim by simply changing your opinion. So you can say one thing one day. If you change your mind tomorrow, you can retract the claim because subjective claims are simply grounded in your opinion. They just are your opinions. Objective claims are different. These are uh, falsifiable or verifiable in a way that subjective claims are not. So if I said I have money in my pocket, you could simply say, really? Empty your pockets. And you can tell if I'm telling the truth or not. Because it's not grounded in my opinion. My opinion cannot give me money if it, you know, wouldn't that be great though, if it could? But it doesn't work that way. Three, no one wastes a lot of time arguing about subjective, you could. Listen, first take on ESPN, all they do is argue about who the best, you know, quarterback is. Really, it's stupid. My wife thinks that's a stupid show. Because <laughs> it's all a matter of subjective opinion. Uh, who's going to argue about this? Well, you shouldn't think that. Oh, okay, whatever. But it turns out that objective claims are the very kinds of claims you ought to be arguing about. These are the kinds of things that do matter. So if I said to you, for example, I think that NyQuil or I think that whiskey will cure my TB, I sure hope you would say, uh, no, that's wrong. That will not do it because now my life's on the line. It turns out objective claims are the kinds of claims we ought to be talking about. So now let's take our test. On one side, we're going to put all objective claims. On the other side, we're going to put subjective claims. I'll give you a claim. You tell me which side it goes. And remember, objective claims are the things that are true for all of us, whether you like it or not, because they're grounded not in your opinion. They're grounded in the object. Subjective claims, of course, are the things that are a matter of personal opinion. They are grounded in subjects. I'll give you a claim. You just tell me which side it goes on. We're going to start easy. And we're going to see how far you go before you start to choke, okay? <laughs> because at some point, you're going to start to choke. And I'll make fun of you when that happens, okay? So here we go. Start with the simplest kinds of claims. These are claims about, the obje about uh, physical objects, physical objects, okay? So here's the first claim about a physical object. Tell me, is this objective or subjective? Yeah, you can test it. Um, can my opinion make it so? If it's not, I can't make my car blue by changing my opinion. Also, could we verify this? Yes, we can go out in the parking lot. We can see if that's true. So it's verifiable. That's a, that's a clue. And your opinion can't change it. That's a clue. We know this is a subjective claim. There it goes. Or, I'm sorry, objective claim. There it goes. Let me give you one and you tell me about a car again. And you tell me if this claim is objective or subjective. Here's the claim. Objective or subjective? Because what do I even mean by a best? That kind of word gets wiggly. You know, a best in terms of staying cool, staying clean. What do we mean? Maybe you just hate the color of white. Okay, fine. So this is not for you. This is a matter of, and this, this is why it goes over here. Pretty easy, right? I mean, 
Physical objects are the easiest things to figure out when it comes to subjective verse. Now, let's take a little step up, next level step. We're going to talk about concepts. That's the next type of claim that's a little more difficult. Let's see if you start to choke on this one. Okay, here's the claim, conceptual claim. Tell me, is it objective or subjective? Do you realize there are people right now? No, seriously, there are people in culture who th- or are claiming in the last six months, well, more than that, but publicly, I see it popularly, a claim that this is a social construct that's biased, that mathematics in general are a social construct. That's coming, folks. You haven't heard that yet? Oh, that's coming. Now, wouldn't it be great if all math facts were a matter of opinion for you taking tests? <laughs> Students, if you're taking a test right now in high school, wouldn't this be awesome? Because you just take, you take your teacher to your test and you say, here's a 100% paper. Because in my opinion, every answer is correct. It doesn't work that way. This goes over here. Even if you thought it did work that way, well, good luck with your civilization. Go ahead and separate from us and try to do anything with technology and see how far you get. If math is not an objective reality. Right? I'll give you another claim about math. You tell me, is this objective or subjective? Now, I always say this. You know, I, I came into law enforcement at 27. I didn't become a Christian until I was 35, so I actually used the skill set I had as a cold case detective to actually just uh, investigate the scriptures. But before I was a cop, I was um, an architect. So I have a master's degree from UCLA, Gutsy Bruins. My son Jimmy went to UCLA, too. We are both Bruins. My son David went to USC. He's a communist. That's how it works. So I had three years of structural engineering. I hate math. This feels to me like an objectively false claim because I hate math. But there are people in this room who think this is actually, they love math. Raise your hand if you love math. See? See how how fast. You dislocated your shoulder raising your arm so fast. (laughs) That was amazing. Okay, keep your hands up for a second. I want you to see who these people are called math geeks. And they're also called employers, okay, for the rest of you. who need a job. This goes over here. Let me give you one that's a little bit tricky. Not in a category, really. Kind of. How about this one? Objective or subjective? Now, what's interesting about this, think about this. Do you know the answer to this question? No. You do not need to know the answer to the question to know if it's objective or subjective. Hear what I just said. You do not need to know the answer to the claim, if it's true or false, to know if it's objective or subjective. The only question is, let's test it. Number one, can my opinion change how many push-ups I can do? Uh, No. Can my opinion keep me from doing the push-ups? No. My opinion is powerless on this. So is yours. I either can do it or I can't. Could we test it? Yes. We're not going to do that right now, but we could test it. (laughs) The point is... This is an objective claim about reality. What's confusing, I think, about it is that the object under consideration is a subject known as Jim. But it is an objective claim. And you don't even have to know the answer. This is important to realize. You don't need to know the answer to know that it's objective. Okay. Now we're going to go from physical claims about physical objects to conceptual claims. Now we're going to go to what are called metaphysical claims. These are just claims about the nature, overarching nature of reality. Here's a metaphysical claim. You tell me, objective or subjective? 
Objective or subjective? Three people are willing to answer that question. What happened to the rest of you? <laughs> Suddenly you're sitting on your hands. What is it? Is it, is it objective or subjective? Objective. So let's test it. Can my opinion make God exist if he doesn't? Can my opinion keep God from existing if he does? No. My opinion cannot make this so. This could be an objectively false claim. All that's left to discover on objective claims is, is it true or false? But this is an objective claim about reality. It's the kind of thing we ought to be talking about. We ought to know the answer to this. This goes over here. Let me give you a little more nuanced claim about God. You tell me if this is objective or subjective. Take your time. Take a look at it. Okay. Objective or subjective? Wow. Now, did you see what just happened? That's called a choke, okay? Because half of you now won't even answer, and the other half are divided. We just talked about this. Can my opinion make this so? No. Can my opinion keep this from being so? This could be false, or it could be true. Even if you don't know the answer, you can tell it's an objective claim about reality. It's this kind of thing you should figure out the answer to, because this is the kind of claim that matters. It's an objective claim about reality. And even if you're not sure of the answer, or you think it's false, we can at least agree it's an objective claim about reality. It goes over there. Do you see why this is important to figure out the difference? Because there's a lot of stuff you have wasted brain space on right now. It's just a matter of subjective opinion. I do it too. My, my podcasts are divided between sports and Christian stuff. And all the sports stuff is in the subjective category, really. Because even when somebody wins the Super Bowl, you're like, well, the other team had a bad day. That one pass from Garoppolo would have changed the game. So I'm going to give you the last category of claims, the hardest category of truth claims. We talked about physical claims, conceptual claims, metaphysical claims. Now I want to talk about moral claims. Objective or subjective? Which is it? Objective or subjective? Which is it? How much are you going to choke today? Okay, so, so this is hard, right? So I try to supersize it to make it a little easier. I'll give you a supersized version of this claim. Does this make it easier? Yeah, yeah why? Because <laughs> it's more gross to you? Which is it? Objective or subjective? Hmm. Okay, there's another thing I haven't shared with you yet. There's only two ways that a claim can be subjective. That's if it's held by a one subject... If that's who determines it, any one subject determines if this is right or wrong, or if a group of subjects, so either it's going to be a personal opinion or what we call cultural consensus. So let me tell you why neither one of those work. If you said, okay, you know what, it's not okay to marry and sleep with 10-year-olds or 8-year-olds, and one person over here says, yeah, that's not right, but one person over here says, no, that's right, that's cool, that's okay with me, how can I adjudicate between these two opinions? If Remember, if all moral claims are grounded in the subjective opinions of persons, then that person is right. And that person is right. 
Otherwise, you're saying that some, for some reason, this person's less of a person than that person. If persons determine moral truths, then every person has the right to be right. Do you see the problem with that? Okay, yeah, but here in America, we say you can't do that. Really? In large parts of the Middle East, it's perfectly okay to do that. So your group may think it's okay. It's still subjective. That group says it's not okay. So we have to say, okay, as long as you're on this side of the border, no problem. If you're on that side of the border, good luck for you. Is that what we're going to say? So the question is, in Nuremberg, after World War II, leaders, German leaders of the, of the concentration camps were brought to trial for war crimes. Their defense was pretty similar to this. You know what they said? They said, hey, just because you won the war does not make you right. In our culture, we were promoted for this behavior. We didn't have a lot of other choices. This was considered virtuous. Just because you win does not make you right. And so they, they let them go. They let them all go. No, they didn't. They executed all of them. Why? Because the tribunal had three justices on it. An American justice named Jackson, a Russian justice, a British justice, and the, Rus the American justice who became a Supreme Court justice. Robert Jackson became a Supreme Court justice. He said, I don't care if it's okay for you back then. There is a law above the law. Really? He's arguing that there is an objective standard, even in morality. This is why we can adjudicate between two persons and why we can also adjudicate between two countries. If this isn't the case, then get ready to embrace whatever the moral values of China are because they outnumber us. No, we would say that some things don't, doesn't matter how many people believe it. They are objectively wrong. This is also true here. Now, all that's left to do on objective claims is to determine, is it true or false? Maybe this is an objectively false claim. Fine. But the question is, is it objective? Yes, it is. This is the kind of thing we ought to be talking about. I'm going to play a video now. It's got a little bit of sound in it of, of, of uh, Oprah Winfrey at the Golden Globes, talking about the Me Too movement. And what she's talking about in this Me Too movement is that uh, she's proud of the women who came forward and exposed this problem, right? Because you had a lot of producers and directors who were saying, if you want this part in this movie, you will sleep with me. There's a casting couch for this reason. And if you don't do that, you're not getting a part in the movie. And when that broke, this has been going on for years, but when it came, it became a big deal, she is congratulating people. But I want you to listen carefully to her language. Let's play it. What I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. And I'm especially proud and inspired by all the women who have felt strong enough and empowered enough to speak up and share their personal stories. Catch it? She described truth. How'd she describe it? Your truth. It's your truth. Really? Is that what it is? If it's, if it's your truth, it means that this behavior is a matter of subjective. She's claiming this is a subjective claim that moral behavior, the moral behavior of these directors and producers, was really a subjective truth claim. Because that's why she can say it's your truth. Is that what this is? Is there a their truth and a our truth, a your truth, a my... Okay, if that's the case, let me tell you how this is going to work. We are producers and directors in Hollywood. This is our truth. Our truth is if you want this job that we control, you don't control it, we control it. You will sleep with us. That's our truth. Get over it or get another job. Because if all truth is just grounded in persons, 
and we have the power or we outnumber you, guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to bend your knee to our truth. That's not how this works. We're saying, no, actually, there is a truth, the truth about this behavior because it's not grounded in your opinion. It's grounded in the behavior. That's the difference. Do you see it now? You're going to hear this personalized version of truth, though, all over the media. Start looking for it. You don't come here on Sunday to get Ben's opinion about God. There's an objective truth about God, about Jesus. We could be wrong. Test it. I'll send you materials to do that. But the point is, it's not a personal opinion. I don't care what Ben's opinions are. You shouldn't care what mine are. We want to know, is it true? I'm going to tell you three lies about the truth, then we're going to let you go. Three lies are being told in the academy. Here's the first one. No, everything's a matter of personal opinion now. It's all a matter of shared experience. And this idea that everything's a matter of experience, you see it sometimes. I'll even take the words of someone like Einstein. See, Einstein agrees. He says truth is what stands the test of experience. And my experience is different than your experience. Therefore, my truth is different than your truth. This is not what Einstein meant. You don't think that Einstein knew there was objective truth? You don't think his theory he thought was objectively true? Yeah, he did. Here's a, a the consummate statement of subjectivism, though. I think it's one of the classic statements in all of history. Here it is. Believe nothing just because a so-called wise person like me or Ben or Jesus said it. Believe nothing just because a belief is generally held even by a large group like yours. Believe nothing just because it is said in some ancient book. Believe nothing just because it's supposedly of some divine origin, like your Bible. It's ancient and divine. Believe nothing just because somebody else believes it. No. Believe only what you yourself test and judge to be true. This is subjectivism at its finest. You know who said it? Buddha said it. And how do I know that Buddha said it? Because it's in an ancient, allegedly divine book believed by millions of people. <laughs> do you see the problem with this statement? It's what we call a self-refuting truth claim. Because in order to believe it, I have to reject what he's saying. It's like me saying to you, I cannot speak a word of English. I had to speak several words of English to say that, so therefore my claim refutes itself. This is like a suicide claim. It cannot stand on its own two feet because it's self-refuting. So if someone said, Jim, there is no objective truth, the first question I'm going to ask is what? Is that objectively true? Because it sounds to me like you're saying there's something objectively true, that there's no objective truth. But if there's no objective truth, you cannot say objectively that there's no objective truth. Do you see the problem with this? It is self-refuting. You can argue what that truth is, but you cannot argue there is no such thing as objective truth because that claim itself is an objective truth claim. Like this one. Nothing is written in stone. <laughs> I bet you in Arizona you have a few of these too. Dry Creek Water Park. These are self-refuting claims, right? I mean, they're like they're shooting yourself in the face. Okay, there's just no way to make this work. Okay? Let me give you another self-refuting claim. Okay, even if there is objective truth, you can't know it with any certainty. That's the next step they'll try. So the next claim is, truth cannot be known. Really? And you'll hear people say this, even thinkers. You know, you can believe people who are kind of searching for truth, but don't trust anyone who's landed it. Don't trust anyone who thinks they know they found it. No one can find it. You can just search for it. This is my favorite of all, though, Molly Ivins. She says it this way. She says, I believe that ignorance is the root of all evil and that no one knows the truth. 
Do you see what I just saw? Self-refuting claim, right? Because if no one knows the truth, then she can't know this is true. And her, she's also part of that evil group. So this is also a self-refuting claim. If you're going to say to me that truth cannot be known, what's the first question I'm going to ask? Do you know that's true? Because it sounds like you know something can be true, that truth can't be known. But if truth can't be known, you can't know that truth can't be known. Do you see the problem with this? I want you to, if you get one skill set this morning, just get this one, because you're going to start to hear people say these kinds of things all the time, and they cannot be true. And even if it's a matter of shared experience, I have an experience as one kind of a people group, and you have a different experience. Okay, fine. But what would make that experience true? You could also say, I have a shared experience, and we actually outnumber you with our shared experience. So therefore, I should disregard your shared experience? You see the problem with this approach? Is it's self-refuting. This is another self-refuting statement I kind of like. Death Valley Health Center, not too far from here. Um, I think it's pretty good. Or this one here, my favorite. Illiterate, right for free health. Okay, some of you will get that tomorrow. Explain that to your husband or wife. It's like you're on the wrong side of the saw, right? And you're sawing that limb so hard. Let me give you the last self-refuting claim. And it's another lie that's told about truth, and it's a little harder to detect. It really comes down to the definition of what we today consider to be tolerance. The definition today, as it's being used popularly, is this idea that we have to agree that our ideas have equal value or you're not being tolerant of me. You might think you're, you hold a view, fine. I hold a different view. Oh, you think your view is better than mine? That's intolerant. It's the idea that all views are equally meritorious. Really? Do you see how this is self-refuting? So if I came up to this guy and I said, you know, here's my view. My view is that some views, some ideas are bad, terrible. Some ideas are good. They're not equally valuable. They're not equally true. They're not equally good. Genocide is a bad idea. If you think it's a good idea, you're wrong. I'm right. You're wrong on that issue. All views are not e pedophilia. Not a good idea. Some views are good, some views are bad. That's my view. Can you accept my view, mister? No, because his view is that he has to reject, he rejects the idea that some ideas are bad. They have to be equally meritorious. But you cannot reject my view according to your own view. You have to see my view as equally meritorious, but I don't think things are equally meritorious, so you can't accept my view, but you must because you think you have to. Do you see the problem here? This is not the classic definition of tolerance. Now, I'm going to put a definition on the screen for you, but I don't want to go through all that with you. This is suicidal. This is not that you cannot practically live this way and consider this to be the definition of tolerance. Now, the classic view is a little bit harder to parse out, but I'm going to give it to you in an easy way to remember. It requires three Ds. You have to have these three Ds to be tolerant. The first D you have to hold is a disagreement. You don't tolerate people you agree with, folks. You agree with them. You tolerate people you disagree with. If you think that the game starts by us agreeing, it's over. You can't be tolerant because tolerant is what you do with people you don't agree with. So do not concede an idea. Do not try to agree. You might be right. They could be wrong. Hold on. Tolerance requires the disagreement. Make sense? Also, though, tolerance requires there to be a difference between the two views. Don't think I have to like, conform my view to yours. So I can be tolerant of you. No, I can hold on to this view. It's different than yours. I get it. Trust me, as we go move forward, the teaching of Jesus is going to be different than what the world argues for.
if I cannot hold on to that difference, if I have to conform Jesus to culture, we are no longer Christians. We're something else. Could be good, could be bad, but we can't call ourselves Christians. We can't follow Christ if we won't even follow his teaching. Last D, don't be a jerk. It's a demeanor issue. I'm going to give you permission today to hate. From this pulpit, I'm going to give you permission to hate. That's right, hate speech. You have permission to hate bad ideas because God hates bad. He hates sin. Jesus hated bad ideas. He rebuked the Pharisees. What you don't have permission to do is to hate the people who hold bad ideas. We're to love those people. And that's the definition of tolerance. Hate the idea, love the people who hold bad ideas. But you're not going to start teaching those bad ideas to your kids in order to be tolerant, are you? No. So you have permission to hate bad ideas. Look, I'm going to send you the case for Christianity in a longer version of this talk. But before I leave you this morning, I just got to tell you something. I am not, I, I wasn't raised in the church. I didn't have any Christians growing up. No one in my family. My parents were not Christians. My wife and I were together for 18 years before either one of us became a Christian. I became a Christian because I discovered in the end that, I, that the Gospels were reliable. And I did that by examining them as eyewitness accounts. I'm going to send you that work, okay? Yeah, I got some books. I'll bet that book table. I'll be happy to sign a book for you, but I didn't come here to sell you a book. I'm going to send you a bunch of free stuff. What I always say is, I am not a Christian because it works for me, because it's not working for me, folks. It's getting harder and harder to navigate culture. Oh, you think it's going to help you in your job? <laughs> good luck with that. Going to help your kids at school? Good luck with that. Used to. Used to be you would never be an outspoken atheist and try to run for office. Watch what happens in the next 10 years, folks. It's changing. And for me, life was easier before I became a Christian because it's so easy to throw the dart against the wall and just draw the bullseye around wherever the dart hits the wall, okay? Then I'm good. I'm always, always good. Ask me how I'm doing. Doing great. How do I know? You just ask me. I'm telling you, doing great. But now there's a standard that's on the wall before I start throwing the dart. I can never hit it. I'm always way off the mark. This stinks. But we have to see this is the right I'm a Christian, not because I was raised that way, because it works for me. I was trying to clean my life up. I had a great life before I was a Christian. Ask Susie, which has been easier, the, 20, the 18 before or the 22 afterwards? She's going to tell you the 18 before were easier. I'm a Christian because it's true. That's it. Even though I don't like it sometimes. I want you to be ready, folks. Hard is coming. Jesus went up on the mountain. After he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and began teaching them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And he went through a bunch of beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are gentle. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are merciful. All the way to the end. And at the very end, he said, blessed are you when people insult you. Not if they insult you. Because that's coming. It's when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And he didn't whine about it. He said, rejoice and be glad. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Folks, we are called to be the salt of the earth. If the salts become tasteless, how can you be made salty again? It's good for nothing. It's throw it out, trample it underfoot by men. You're the light of the world. 
A city set on a hill can't be hidden. No one puts a, lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. But on the lampstand, right, it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that it, 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 it does what? It glorifies your Father who's in heaven. Because trust me, it's not going to make you popular. But it is going to glorify your Father who's in heaven. Now, I'm going to send you the case for this um, from our website, Cold Case Christianity. We have a phone app you can download where I answer, answer questions. So if you have a question about today, just download this, put it go in the chat room, ask the question, I'll answer it tomorrow morning. Okay? And also, um, I'm going to send you a bunch of stuff. I'm going to send you, just text this number. I didn't choose this number. The number's stupid. I get it. A lot of sixes in it. I didn't choose the number. It's 66866. You just take a text. You send a message to me at that number. The message is going to be one word, detective. Just message me the word detective to 66866. I'm going to send you the videos, PowerPoints, all the stuff you need to make the case for Christianity, make the case for God's existence, and examine this issue of truth. Okay? Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we know that uh, we can do a better job because we get distracted with all kinds of stupid stuff that doesn't matter. All the opinions that are, are bombarding us, help us to block those out. Help us to just be the kind of people who understands what the difference is between objective claims and subjective claims. And help us to worship you with more than just our words, more than just our prayers, more than just our worship. Help us to worship you with our mind as we think hard about these truths. And we pray this in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. And everyone here says, amen. amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.